Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of season four of Cheeky Geeky. Oh my god, we made it to season four, holy shit. We did it! Uh, I am Monet. I'm Otogu. And today's episode is all about the music industry. Well, really just Taylor Swift, but the music industry. Oh yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Nate was not able to join us today. She had a friend emergency and friendships are important. And um, so we excused her from today's episode. She is missed, uh, but she will be back with us for the next episode. Rip. Rip. Okay, so to start this episode off, I'm going to read portions of the essay that I wrote for my pop culture class last semester. Uh, I'm really proud of this essay. That's why I'm going to read uh, parts of it. It's really the majority of it. But yeah. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Love her or hate her, Taylor Swift is the most successful mu female musicians in music history. One of the most successful music. Wow, I cannot talk today. It's okay. I forgive you. Let me start over. Love her or hate her, Taylor Swift is one of the most successful female musicians in music history. She has capitalized on the art of breaking up and throwing shade, amassed an army of loyal fans, and has rewritten the narrative of her life over and over through different eras. Reinventing herself with every album, she's cornered the market on success with catchy beats and relatable music. Lyrics. Wow, I still can't talk today. Words suck. Anyway, she has broken record after record while also showing that she's more than the sexist jokes that her haters insist on repeating. She's proven time and again that she's here to stay no matter what genre she's dominating. Moreover, though, she's a comeback queen. She's mastered the art of bouncing back from drama and reclaiming her narrative through her reinventions. Uh, and then I go on to talk a little bit about other stuff that we're going to talk about later. At some point, the entire essay will probably get read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Taylor came onto the music scene crooning about Tim McGraw and how Drew made her cry. She is the newest. She was the newest voice in country music in 2006. Her self-titled debut album told listeners the story of a teenage girl hoping to find love, dealing with heartache, and navigating the trials of youth. She was the voice of an innocent with a face to match. She wore white dresses, styled her hair blonde with curls, and wore the staple lip gloss of the times. She looked as angelic as she sang and was a breath of fresh air from all the songs about sex. Her sophomore album, Fearless, brought more innocence with a touch of maturity. She sang of forbidden love and growing up, finding love, and losing it. It was a great follow-up and continued the narrative of a high school girl learning about life. The album released in November 2008 and brought her to the MTV Video Music Awards the following year, where she encountered Mr. Kanye West while accepting the award for Best Female Video of the Year. And I'm going to let myself finish. We'll come back to this later. Yeah. <laughs> How about well, we she didn't don't? 
I mean, it was a very pivotal thing, and it's a big deal for a lot of her music. Okay, um, that's true. Well, well, she didn't change much between her first two albums. Her third album showed the world a more jaded version of the country star. By the time Speak Now released in 2010, Taylor had been subjected to harsh scrutiny. She was called a serial dater, a gold digger, and accused of only dating men to get song material. The world saw a drastic change with the release of the album. She wore darker colors and more mature outfits. She was still the girl next door, but it was clear that she was growing up. She sang of regret, desperation, and heart-wrenching pain in her ballads, but also forgiveness. Innocent was a direct response to he who shall not be named. In the bridge, she conveys understanding for his actions, and the entire song is a letter of forgiveness. Taylor will later go on to further express that forgiveness in a speech at the future MTV Music Awards. Innocent is the first sign of a real reinvention for the star with West as the catalyst. Where previously and still exemplified in songs featured on the Speak Now album, Taylor Swift has a habit of calling out people who have wronged her in harsh ways. Better than revenge and mean are prime examples of this. A romance with John Mayer also played a key role as she escaped what is now considered a grooming situation. Her song Dear John was the downfall of a male singer as the world turned on him for hurting the innocent swift with the release of speak now she had to start defending herself more than she ever had in the past to defend her reputation this is the true start of an era that will come years later for reference the entire the entire paper is arguing that her reputation era started in 2009 just for some context to some of the stuff that i'm reading and not self-editing out with 2011's Red, we saw another transformation as she detailed her whirlwind, ill-fated romance with Jake Gyllenhaal. Her songs had a more pop tone to them and showed the beginnings of a total transformation. The promised reinvention came during a four-year gap between album releases, and her 1989 era brought her out of country and into pop. Of this genre transition... Oh, wait, I go on to quote somebody. I can skip that part. Suddenly, she was dancing, addressing her haters with sass rather than poise, and saying that she didn't care what people were saying about her. Shake It Off is a great representation of the less catty, sassier Taylor who addresses the gossip mongers. I stay out too late, got nothing in my brain, I go on too many dates, at least that's what people say. But I keep cruising, can't stop, won't stop moving, it's like I've got this music in my mind saying it's going to be alright. I mean, hello? Another song that directly turns the rumors about her love life into a sarcastic cash out is Blank Space, where Taylor paints the narrative that she is everything the tabloids say, with the music video depicting dramatic extremes show the irony. To show the irony, let it be noted that Red in 1989 have few, if any, references to Kanye West. During these eras, there was no longer a conflict, and it is speculated that the two had moved on and were on good terms. Um, which is presented when she, uh, gave Kanye the Video Vanguard Award. Um, and I'm going to read her speech here because it's a really powerful speech. Especially when you look at everything that he's done to her since she presented him with the award. 
I first met Kanye West six years ago at this show, actually. It seemed like everyone in the world knew about our infamous encounter at the VMAs, but something you may not know is that Kanye West's album, College Dropout, was the very first album my brother and I bought on iTunes when I was 12 years old. I have been a fan of him for as long as I can remember because Kanye defines what it means to be a creative force in music, fashion, and well life. So I guess I have to say to all the other winners tonight, I'm really happy for you and I'm going to let you finish, but Kanye West has had one of the greatest careers of all time. And we're going to come back to this later on in the episode. We may not want to. No, I really think we should. Okay. Uh, I'm going to skip the next couple paragraphs. Because I go into her reputation era and we're going to talk about that. Because that was really the catalyst of her career, I think. Um, that's when she really started to take over the music industry. Um, we can talk about this article later. Uh, do, 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 do. We can talk about this paragraph later. Yeah, Here we go. Fans have dubbed Taylor as the music industry and they may not be wrong. In response to Scooter Braun buying her masters out from under her, she started re-recording her quote-unquote stolen albums so that she can own all of her music. From debut up to reputation, Taylor is revisiting each era of her career and it has accumulated into her newest album, Midnight's. Her 10th studio album has been in the world for less than 50 days at the time of writing this. It's obviously been longer than that now. Her 10th studio album is shattering records daily and it actually still is to this day, still shattering records. The album revisits major events and relationships of her life reflecting on them in mature eyes we see new sides of things we thought we knew while at the same time it all feels fresh and new she dresses new drama hitting back and owning her truth she paints pictures of where she wants her life to go based on where it's been the songs on this album allow each era of her life to show through mixing and blending to show the world what she is now the music industry Right now, no one can hold a candle to Taylor. She's a force to reckon with, and she holds all the power over her career. Taylor is winning just about every award she's nominated for. She's holding top spots on the Hot 100 list, and anyone in the music industry who speaks ill of her will suffer backlash from industry peers and the public alike. That's all of the essay I'm going to read for right now. Um, I got an A on this paper, and actually my TA said that if there was a grade higher than an A, I would have gotten that. That is awesome. So, I think it's only fair that we start off by sharing our experiences as Taylor fans and how we got there. And if you don't mind, I would like to start. Yeah, that's fine with me. Okay. So I am six months older than Taylor. Um, so her debut album came out. I just turned 17-ish. I was right around 17 when her album came out. It was my senior year of high school, I believe. Um, the first song that I heard off of it was... Teardrops on my guitar because it was playing on the top 40 stations. And that's literally all I listened to was top 40 and alt rock. I 
hated country with burning passion. Um, but everybody in my school was obsessed with teardrops on my guitar. Like, I couldn't avoid hearing it. Um, and I liked the song. It was catchy. I found myself humming it a lot. Um, but I really didn't pay too much attention to her because she was country and I didn't really care for country. Um, so fast forward to when Fearless comes out and I hear Love Story. I'm like, oh, okay, Love Story, this is a good song. And then um, I really loved uh, You Belong With Me. I, like, rocked that, that shit out. I actually... Um, put that one on my iPod. Um, I never considered myself a fan. If her song was on the radio, I would like uh, listen to it, sing along with it, and then move on with my life. Um, I am guilty of being a serial dater starting in fifth grade. Uh, so when people started... When the mass media and the mass public started harping on Taylor for the amount of guys that she was dating, my peer, my personal peers and even my family members would start calling me a walking Taylor Swift song because I was going through relationships left and right. Like, I had a new boyfriend, like, every few months. Um, or my current boyfriend and I were just on and off constantly like it was my dating life back then was a disaster um and I started resenting her for it like I blamed her for people harassing me about my relationships because she was singing the songs that I could relate to and it was just a vicious cycle of people her are using her to harass me so therefore I have to hate her because she's representing something in my life that I have become insecure about. Um, 2016 really didn't help. I fed into all of the media lies about her, especially when it came to what Kanye and Kim were saying. I sided with them despite really not liking them either. Uh, it just, to me, made sense what they were saying. Um, and then she started dating Tom Hiddleston, who at the time I was absolutely obsessed with. And I was, I didn't like that they were together, but I was of the opinion, if he's happy, then I'm happy for him. And I tried to just avoid all the fan drama that was around and surrounding it. I definitely thought that it was kind of cringy that he was dating her. And I was really kind of leery about the whole thing. But ultimately, I wanted him to be happy. So I was like, if they work out, that's fantastic. If not, I hope she doesn't break his heart too much. Um, and then I just kind of like ignored her. Uh, when Reputation came out, I got really, really nasty. And I was definitely a hater. Um, I criticized Every single song that I heard about it, um, I even accused her of appropriating abuse victims, but with the song, Look What You Made Me Do, because that is a phrase that is commonly used by abusers to make their victims feel guilty for what's happening to them. 
And I just laid in really hard with her about it because I was coming out of an abusive marriage. And it just didn't seem right to me that she was using that phrase, something that had been said to me repeatedly over the course of the year and a half that I was married to my ex. And it just made me hate her all the more. Um, my friends were going absolutely gaga over her. And I was just sitting in the corner like, this fucking sucks. The song is horrible. She's horrible. I don't understand why people like this. This is trash. She's a whore. She's, she's no business, you know, making music. None of that. She's a lying snake and blah, blah, blah. She starts the drama. You know, and all kinds of horrible things about her. And then something happened. I started writing The Dysfunction of Evan. And I wanted to incorporate, 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 whatever that word is. (laughs) I can't pronounce it today. Yes, thank you. I wanted to incorporate her into the story not necessarily as the bad guy but just as an adversary if you have if if you've read the dysfunction of evan you know how it turns out um astrid the main character is essentially me and when taylor is first introduced to the story it's you know, it's literally Astrid hates her. She's got valid reasons. Her reasons she thinks are valid are the same reasons that I hated her at the same time. Um, But ultimately it boils down to she's insecure about Taylor because of, you know, at the end of the day because of Tom. But that's more of a fictional thing. And it added spice and drama to the story. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And, you know, all the Hiddlestoners are going to be so happy that I brought her in so they can hate her right along with Astrid. And I was really vindictive about it. Um, Anyway, as I started writing the story, I come to realize that um, I needed to learn more about Taylor to accurately get her in the story because if you've read the dysfunction of evan you know i do my homework on every single celebrity character in the story so that i can get them as close to their real life counterparts as possible so i started doing research on taylor and i also heard about the dj sexually assaulting her incident and how she was suing him for a dollar and it wasn't about the money it was about encouraging women to stand up for themselves in situations like this. And I was like, that's actually something I can respect her for. And then my friends were like, well, there's other things you can respect her for too. And I'm like, whatever, you're right. She's trash. Um, But then a friend had me watch the Reputation documentary on Netflix. And I was like, maybe I'm not giving her the credit she deserves because she told her side of a lot of the drama that was in the media and you know she talked about how it was affecting her personal life and she talked a lot about her personal life and I realized that 
she wasn't all that different from me, that her journey wasn't all that different from mine. The only difference is she's in the spotlight and I'm not. And I started to feel really bad about the things that I had said about her, um, that I had encouraged other people to continue saying about her. Um, and it was a real moment of growth for me. That was right before the pandemic started in 2020. And then in July, she released Cardigan. And I was like, who the fuck writes a song about a cardigan? And I was like, well, everybody seems to be excited about this. So I went ahead and when it released at midnight, I listened to it. And to my surprise, I absolutely loved it. And then she announced that she was releasing an entire album. And when the album released at midnight, I listened to the entirety of Folklore at least four times before I went to bed that day. And then I started listening to all of her back catalog and really diving into the lyrics and reading into the lyrics. And by the time Evermore came out, I was a fan. I wasn't a Swifty, but I was... I considered myself a fan. Um, Evermore released. I listened to Evermore. Fell immediately in love with Champagne Problems. Um, and after Evermore, I was just like, okay, this, yeah, okay. Solidified me as a fan. I was no longer just a casual, no longer just somebody who liked her music. I was a fan, and I was ready to admit that I was a fan. Um, she released Fearless, Taylor's version, and I bought it on release day. And then the day she announced that uh, she was releasing Red Taylor's version, she also opened up pre-orders, and I bought the pre-order, and all of my friends are like, you're a fan, you're a Swifty. Just admit it. I did not admit it until I realized that I listened to nothing but all too well Taylor's version, 10 minute version for an entire month straight every single day, at least 10 times a day. And then I was finally like, fuck, I'm a Swifty. God damn it. <laughs> and it has pretty much consumed my entire life since then. Um, I started doing just immense deep dives into literally everything. Um, and then when I started my pop culture class, we started talking about women and sexism in media and my teacher who's not a Taylor Swift fan not because he doesn't like the music but because he's he's kind of annoyed with the hype surrounding her and I, I get that he he does like her music he thinks she's she, he thinks she's she's brilliant at what she does he's just more or less annoyed at the chaos that surrounds Taylor um my TA, however, was a huge fan, and when I told him that I was writing this paper, he got super excited. Um, I pre-ordered Midnight on vinyl and digital the day that it released. I got salty 
not the day it released, the day pre-orders opened up, I got salty when it was announced that there was an entire 3 a.m. version with seven more songs that I had to buy um, a new digital copy for. I was really salty about that, but I couldn't, you know, deny that that was a really clever marketing scheme to get people to buy multiple copies along with uh, the, the Midnight's Clock. I thought that was pretty brilliant too, but annoying because I was like, I want them all, but I'm not going to buy them all. Um, but yeah, so that is my journey of going from meh to grr to ah. <laughs> um, and then we will talk later in the episode about my adventure getting tickets for the Eras tour. Oh dear. Yeah, that'll come after the break. <laughs> oh, that that is an that is an interesting adventure. I did not know that about you. And so if you read The Dysfunction of Evan, you can kind of see my journey reflected in Astrid as Astrid opens up to a friendship with Taylor. Yeah, I could kind of see that. Yeah, so you can kind of see the point of the writing where I was like, I'm, I, I don't hate her anymore. You can you can see where that happens in the story. Yeah, but it's something that because, as some of you know, we met through Tom Hiddleston. It's something that I never bring up with people that I met through Tom Hiddleston, which I'll get into. Yeah, I, I tried to avoid, I used to try to avoid saying that I was a Taylor Swift fan to other Hiddlestoners, and then I was like, you know what, fuck them, if they don't like it, that's their problem, because at the end of the day, I can still say I loved Tom first. True, that is very true. So, so let's hear your story, lady. Okay, so... I mean, I thought I was going to have the story where people are going to get pissed the hell off. But lady, lady, I think you may have me beat, but I, I am. <laughs> that being said, I am going to name drop somebody that triggers Taylor Swift fans, at least the ones that were in the, the fandom earlier than you were. Um. First, I, I do want to explain why I don't want to talk about him. Um, and before I get into her, because part of it, it does involve her. But um, due to recent things involving him, while I did like some of his music, I, absol I absolutely cannot listen to any of it anymore on on principle um i know exactly who you're talking about and i agree i before 2016 i would listen to any kanye west song that was on the radio i was jamming out to gold digger constantly now i can't fucking stand his ass yeah and i mean i like et because I, I like katie perry which i mean we can we can get into that drama if you want to but um so, as far as Taylor goes, so, I was a big country fan. Not just... Real quick, 
Mm-hmm. Let me let me put for the record. I stopped liking Kanye West when he started dating Kim Kardashian because I fucking hate the Kardashians. I'm I'm not getting too deep into his stuff. It's just yeah. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with him now, but you know. Anyway, anyway, yeah. we could um, do an entire episode just on him. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not wasting my time on God, no, I don't think I could ever know. No. Um, so, I am a big fan of country, both both the old school stuff, like, you know, Johnny and all that, but also, uh, you know, newer stuff. Um, I got really in, like, really, really into country in the early 2000s. Because I did like a lot of different things. Brooks and Dunn, Toby Keith, you know, all of them. um, Just because, I mean, I'd visit my family in Texas. They were huge into country. But I found CMT when I was in high school and got super into like Montgomery Gentry, um, Leanne Rimes. And Taylor came out um, later where I was into country, but I wasn't listening to it as much. So while she was in, you know, her rise to fame, when she first came out, I listened to her songs, but wasn't like, oh my God, I got to listen to everything. It's more, if it was on, I really enjoyed it, but I wouldn't seek it out. Um, Like the big thing that I remember besides everybody being crazy about her was the whole thing at the, uh, the music awards. And I think she handled it, you know, with grace. It was the first thing that either that or his whole thing with 9-11 and uh, Mike Mike Myers. Um, One of those was my first, like, cringe moment with him. And I think that she handled it, like, with grace. But there was, like, a time where I didn't really hear much about her. And and here's what I think people are going to, like, shit on me. And I can understand and I can respect it. Um, but I, I listened to a lot of YouTube, watched a lot of YouTube like parodies. And I will, I will lead with this led me to get really into Taylor's music. I, I, I will lead with that. So hear me out on this. Because um, I didn't know she made pop stuff. <laughs> But I, uh, I came across this parody maker called Bart Baker. Now, (laughs) so you've heard of him. So you've heard of him. Good. Um, he actually follows me back on Twitter. Um, (laughs) that is glorious. (laughs) Yes. Um, and I, I was listening to all of his parodies, you know, when he did baby and all that stuff. And then he started coming out with a ton of Taylor Swift stuff. And I was like, why is this all poppy? Like 21, I knew you were trouble, blank space, all of that stuff. So like shake it off. So I looked her music up. And I'm like, wait, she's doing pop now? When, when did she go from country to pop? And I really liked it. So thanks to Bart Baker, who pisses off Taylor Swift fans, who pisses off Swifties, triggers them. 
he also pisses her off too. Oh yeah. She oh yeah. What? She has acknowledged him and she has served him with cease and desist on multiple times. I know. But they turn out because creative common laws. Yep, I, I know that she has a disdain for him because he's like, oh, well, she's the devil and all that stuff. And because of like YouTube drama, he stopped really doing that stuff. But and, and that's why I was like, they, they are going to hate me when I see that this is how I I discovered and got super into her music. But thanks to his dumb ass. I discovered all of her new, well, new at the time. I mean, it was like 2014, 2015. Um, I discovered her music and was like, hey, I really like this new stuff to the point where, yeah, I like it way. Like, I liked her country music, but I didn't seek that out where um, with the new stuff, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to Blank Space. Like, just... How many times? Um, I, I think that was like my big favorite out of like all the ones in that era. Um, and then, um, you know, I listened to stuff and then I, did Red come out after that or was it on? Uh, see, I see. Red I, was her last country album. Okay. Red was her okay. fourth album. 1989 was her first pop, her yeah. fifth album. Yeah. Okay, because I, I get the names and what songs are on. The only person I know that for is Elton John. Um, I, I will be 100% open on that. That is the only person that, that has that with me. I know the song. I know the album. I know multiple albums. But um, after those songs, I did... Um, I did drop off a little bit where I listened to those. But I didn't pick up um, the album that came out before the one that had look what you made me do um that one that I got one 1989 okay I, I don't know I don't know then I give up um <laughs> anyway um uh, because I've I picked them up as singles um versus albums um because I like to share what was the song you were talking what was the song in question blank space yeah that was 1989. Okay, so that was the that was the last one. I thought there was one between those. We'll get into that. Okay, so I'm I'm not confused. There was supposed to be. Okay. Um, okay. She she historically releases, uh, typically releases an album every two a new album every two years. So, uh, at the beginning of 2016. A lot of people call it Bleachella because she had revealed a new look. And it's theorized that that's the start of what's supposed to be a new album era. However, because of the Kanye bullshit, we never got that album. And it is um, highly rumored fan. And it's a popular fan theory that the album's name is supposed to be Karma because you can see that listed um on the, you can see that written on the wall in her music video for the man on the lover album okay so i'm not crazy that 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 that's all that matters <laughs> um, yeah, you're not crazy okay so then then um 
out of the blue side truck uh whatever people are blowing up my dms if tom's got a girlfriend tom's got a girlfriend um and, and i see these things i'm like is that taylor swift that's taylor swift and then the toxic mega drama where it was i i won't get too much into it but basically the bottom line was while i liked her music I did not say anything. I didn't, I like, I acknowledged that I knew who she was. Um, but I did not openly say, yeah, well, you, you can't say that stuff about her, but I mean, I like her music. I just avoided it like the plague. Um, whether the people say it's real, it's not real, whatever. Um, as long as Tom was happy, so I was so deep into, it is a secret I'm into Taylor Swift's music, that Monet found out less than a month ago. Which is surprising, because I was const constantly bringing it up, constantly mentioning, I'm a Taylor Swift fan now, you know, what did you think of Taylor being in my story, and uh, constantly trying to figure out where she was on the spectrum, and she's just like, meh. <laughs> i i was so quiet about it and but that is because of just all the negative experiences with people where it's like they'll say oh yeah well i kind of like her music and then you would agree and then they would just turn on you like whoa what is going on here um <laughs> And then her uh, her album came out with Look What You Made Me Do. And everybody was trying to figure out what song's about Tom. No, it's this one. It's this one. It's this one. And I mean, it was, I checked out the album. I did like it. Um, I did understand why some people were pissed off with, oh, well, look what you made me do is exploiting abused people. But from what I, now I did not know as much, but I know that she did deal with a lot of, a lot of BS, um, and the whole like rooming situation and all of that. Um, and I thought of it more as her her basically claiming herself, if that makes sense. Now that I am enlightened to the situation as a whole, I agree. Yeah, and it, it's something that people, unless they know, like, know her story, it's, it's not self-explanatory. It more seems that, oh, well, you know, this, this is typical Taylor, um, you know, trying to be exploitive and, and all of this stuff. It, it's a lot of typical Taylor playing, uh, painting herself as the victim yet again. Yes. Um, where she writes, she writes about, you know, how she feels and stuff like that, where you listen to music and I, I mean, I hate to sound like an old person, but a lot of the music today it it doesn't feel like they're writing because it's what is in their mind or their heart or the stuff they're going through where you know in the past it was but but even even 
deeper than that because while a lot of her fans now are due to pop she has country roots and and country roots they they write about you know that kind of stuff but she's doing it to pop and that's something a lot of fans of pop really don't get um i loved gorgeous on uh on that album that's probably my favorite i would say yeah it's a good one um i also <laughs> ironically love getaway car which is the tom hiddleston song on that album i did like that one um they thought gorgeous was like i did a video about if gorgeous was about tom hiddleston <laughs> i swore up and down that gorgeous was about tom and I then i was know. like but wait Joe Alwyn has blue eyes and a British accent too. Yes. Um, well, I mean, I have to say my favorite song about someone is probably uh, Style, both because of her, but also about this other parody that, that's uh, this guy who is in the wrestling business. Don't ask, but... I like both of them very much, the original and the parody, because, um, but, um, and then her new album, the, the one that I am feeling the most is, is Antihero, and I know that, oh, well, that's everybody's go-to, but when I heard that in the whole section, both when she sings it, and then the freaking music video, where it's like uh, she has a dream that her daughter-in-law kills her for the money. Her for the money. Funny. <laughs> and then they read the will and, and the line that uh, she's laughing up at us from hell. And that whole skit, it's just, oh my god! Like I just love it so much. I feel like the she's laughing up at us from hell bit is for Bart. Really? I can oh my god, I think I can see that her the devil. Because he's constantly calling her the devil. I feel like that's a, a, a snide swipe at Bart. Oh my you have just blown my mind. But I, I will I will say one final thing before my but I end my story and that's uh well two things. And she, now mind you, I have not seen this movie. I most likely will not see this movie. Um, she was in Cats. It's something I have to mention. As I will never watch Cats. Her song is really good, though. I heard her song on Pandora, and it's really good. But the whole concept of live-action Cats and the trailer just freaks me out. Okay, see, see, here's the thing. They did Cats back in the day, but they did it with theater makeup and not all the CGI bullshit. And it was actually done on a stage. I had a copy of that as a child growing up. Yeah, and see, I hoped it was going to be something like that because I was excited with a lot of the cast, including her. But I, I just can't. But, um... No, like, one yeah. of the reasons I connect to her is that she, I don't want to call her a crazy cat lady, but, I mean, she is a cat lady, and I'm a cat lady, yeah. and, and we we just have a bond. Yes. But that that is my story. That's a pretty story. <laughs> and now it's, a lot better, it's a lot better than mine. I mean, mine's kind of like a hater redemption story, so, but, yeah. 
Well, I mean, my mine mentions the other he who should not be named. <laughs> To the point where he follows me on Twitter, so I think the pitchfork is coming my way. Hey, Odo. Yeah? Yeah? You like soap, right? I mean, everybody should? I would hope so. Um, my friends over at Soap419 have some new stuff, actually. Do they now? Yes. You hear us talking about the winter cleaners all the time, but they've got new stuff. And oh, okay, one, one sec, one sec. Let me disconnect and reconnect because you sound like a robot and that's usually because I've been in voice chat too long. So you're going to have to start over. So you got Okay. Okay, we're ready to have sex with the soap again, I think. Hello. Hey, Hi. Hi. So this. We get to start. Yeah. Okay. So, do you like soap? I love soap. Good. Uh, my friends over at Soap Four One Nine have new soap. Do they now? Yes, you hear me talk about the Wiener Cleaners all the time and their kids' soaps and stuff. They've got something new. It's called the Goat Milk Massage Bar. And oh my God, I took a shower with it the other day and it felt so good. It's your favorite scent of soap with these. They look like udders, but they feel so good. That sounds so dirty. I thought it was going to be made of, like, goat milk, and I was going to ask you, so do I get to eat the soap? But no. It is made of goat milk, but you don't eat the soap. Um, if you're interested in looking at all of Soap419's products, head on over to Soap419.com and check them out. Enter in coupon code CheekyGeeky for a listener-exclusive discount. Very nice. And don't eat the soap, apparently. It don't eat the soap. Don't fuck the soap. One size fits most, eventually. <laughs> oh. and, and we're back to our Taylor Swift episode of Cheeky Geeky. Wow. So, while we were on our break... I was scrolling through the good old book of faces and saw a announcement uh, that contains Taylor Swift. The National are coming back with an album. They haven't released one since 2009, and it's going to feature Taylor Swift. Really? Yes, it's also going to feature Phoebe Bridgers, who was uh, on... A recent song who featured recently with Taylor and I'm pretty sure 
uh, Phoebe is going to be on tour with Taylor as well. Wow. That sounds fun. Good luck getting tickets to that. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so, let's go back to my essay. So I know we wanted to, to I know you particularly wanted to avoid this, um, but it's, it's such a huge part of her career and her current music that we can't just not talk about Kanye, as disgusting as it is. As disgusting as he is, but go on. As disgusting as he is, yes. Especially because in my essay, I made a really good argument for why he is the catalyst. He's not the exclusive reason she keeps reinventing herself for every album. But I personally think that he's the catalyst that started it. And that her reputation era actually started with the VMA's performance where he interrupted her speech. And came to a... Uh, climax in 20 in 2016 2017 I'm sorry 2017 with reputation and is finally starting to get laid to rest with midnights I'm trying to look at I'm trying to find the point in my essay where I make, here we go. So in 2015, we already, I already talked about the, the Vanguard Award that she presented to him. Uh, the speech was, seemed to cement to the public that the feud was over, hatchet buried, and they were friends. Q 2016. While the world thought Taylor and Kanye had mended their bridge, Wes showed everyone he was burning it. In his song Famous, he states that he may still have sex with Taylor because he made that bitch famous. She challenged this by saying that she had not been aware that the term that bitch would be used, that she would only be given, that she had only given permission for Kanye to state that they may have sex because he made her famous. In July, Kim Kardashian released footage of Taylor seemingly agreeing to the use of the context of the lyrics. Taylor rebutted saying that it was not true, that there was no evidence to back her up, that claims were shot and her claims were shot down. The world, including much of her own fan base, turned its back on Taylor. In response, she went dark, deleting everything on social media and unfollowing everyone. Critics accused her of lying to portray herself as a victim, and the backlash was so intense that Swift left the spotlight for nearly a year. And it was about six months before the world even saw her. She was spotted in public with a new man, and fans went crazy figuring out who he was. Taylor herself stayed dark and reclusive until August 2017 when she set a countdown to her website. Look What You Made Me Do was the first single from the Reputation album and it had a side to it that Taylor had never shown before. The song was dark, addressing all the hate and rumors spread over the past year. She was reclaiming the narrative of her life and dishing out karma. She continues the chorus with a repetition of the song's title. Um, the preface being... But I got smarter, I got harder in the nick of time. Honey, I rose up from the dead, I do it all the time. I've got a list of names and yours is in red or underlined. I check it once, then I check it twice. 
She's essentially saying that she's done taking the heat and suffering from things that she hasn't done, and she's keeping track of who has wronged her. She even references how she reinvents herself in reaction to people attacking her, a habit that started at the faithful VMAs three years into her career. Because if you pay attention, her style hasn't changed much between her debut album and Fearless. Her style starts to change both fashion-wise and uh, musically and lyrically with Speak Now, which happened after Kanye. With this new era, her style was that of pop meets rock look. Her palette was dark and included leather and spiked jewelry. This was a tailor who was not going to take anyone's shit anymore. In a study conducted for the research article, a critical discourse analysis of the song Look What You Made Me Do by Taylor Swift, it stated that the music video showing revenge, power, and hatred when she's crawling up through her own grave and burying her older image while singing, I don't like your little games, don't like your tilted stage, the role you made me play of a fool, no, I don't like you. She was no longer the sweet girl the world met in 2006. She was an adult, and she was in control of her life. The album was riddled with depictions of how she had rebuilt herself, calling out those who had wronged her, mocking the media for all the scrutiny they have subjected her to over the years. She attributes her survival and ability to find strength and support she found with her new boyfriend, Joe Alwyn, though she doesn't name him in any song. In fact, during her self-exile, she was able to forge that romance and privacy away from the spotlight in the, and frenzy of the media, and in the album, she touches on how important to her that relationship was. This is best exemplified in the song, Call It What You Want. The tone of which she sings about Alwyn is vastly different from her previous love songs. There's a sense of protection in her words, like she holds what they have high above everything else so that no outside force can cause it to falter. Gone is the teenager dreaming of true love. Here is a grown woman who knows love isn't perfect, but understands that it needs to be cultivated. This is so important to this particular reinvention because despite everything bad, she found a light that got her through. She brings perseverance with this reinvention, a never-back-down feel that proves it's okay to have vulnerability with the right person without losing strength. This reinvention is the most pivotal in her career. It cemented that she wasn't going anywhere. The Reputation Tour was her biggest tour, and the era itself brought back the fans that she had lost, but also anchored new fans to her side. No one cared anymore what Kim Kardashian or Kanye West had to say, especially when she offered all of branches of forgiveness, only to have the pair spit them back in her face. Through her reputation era, Taylor mended and resolved several feuds, which ultimately led to her next album, Lover. So you can see why I, I want to impress that it is important to talk about Kanye when talking about Taylor's career. Yeah, I mean, I can generally see that. It's just, ooh, you know? I, I am I happy know. at this point that she has found her own, you know, resolution with everything. And hopefully, yes. you know, she can distance herself from him, yes. his negativity, and his drama. And Kanye is just left and right fucking his own self up. Yeah. Like, like dude is a whole entire train wreck. And at the end of the day, I'm really glad that they were never able to be friends. I'm glad he repeatedly kept burning that bridge because I feel like if they were friends with everything that he's got going on today, it would only bring her down. Oh yeah, I, th I think it would honestly destroy at least 
like oh, yeah. she she is rising up like a phoenix where um if she oh, yeah. was connected you know to him then she would be burning like a dumpster fire and she's way too talented and for for any of that noise yes so taylor is still with joe uh this is her longest relationship um to date um and I've actually started uh, paying attention to some of his stuff. I've never particularly cared before. For starts, I I don't think he's that attractive, in all honesty. I think he kind of looks like a toe. <laughs> I mean, I can see where a lot of people think he's good looking. But to me, he's just not. I got to look this up. What What's his name? Joe Alwyn. Because I swear I've seen him, but let, let me look. I watched his, sh I binged his uh, show Conversations with Friends last weekend. And it's actually really good. And he is a phenomenal actor. I'm looking at his IMDb right now. While I do, um, we did ask, uh, well, Monet did, um, you know because she's awesome uh for your fan stories we do have a few of them that uh she's going to read i'm just quickly scrolling through his imd yeah i haven't seen a single thing with him wait i might okay. have seen harriet i i don't remember if i saw harriet or not i i, I have memory issues leave me alone <laughs> so those fan okay. stories how about them fan stories let me pull up, let me pull up the fan stories all right so our first one uh comes from ab and ab says so my story involving taylor swift goes way back to 2008 one afternoon after coming back home from school i turned into the radio and suddenly this sweet but fiery voice comes up and the song is love story I instantly get hooked to the song, and by the time the track ended, I was left mesmerized by the sheer beauty of the song. I became her fan then and there on the spot, and I used it to get, and it used to get played pretty much every day. So the more I listened to it, the more I couldn't help but visualize Taylor, and I was sure that her face was as pretty as her voice. And after a few weeks, I was proved right when I saw the music video of that song and countless others. In fact, she was far prettier than I had imagined her to be. And ever since then, it has been one sweet emotional ride alongside her music. Every album of hers has been a part of me in all of my different phases of life, good and bad. She is a powerhouse by all and every means, and no one can stop her. I bow down to her magnificent and brilliant songwriting, song prowess. She's a force to be reckoned with, an absolute goddess, the queen of all queens. I love it. I mean, it's such a cute story. And it's, I think it's on par with a lot of fan stories as well. Oh, yeah. Um, both old and new fans, although I think it's more a new fans type story. But I mean, yeah, honestly, that's uh, that's pretty much a lot of people's story. Yeah. Um, here's one that's a little different. This one is probably my favorite out of the, all the ones that we had submitted. This one is from Barbara, and she says, "Hi, my story is very atypical. I didn't listen to country. I didn't listen to country music much. By the way, I'm turning 72 in a few weeks. 
Anyway, without really listening to Taylor, I took an extreme dislike to her, saying to anyone that would listen, she has no talent. She can't sing. And then 1989 came out. Out of curiosity, I listened to it. The more I listened, the more I wanted to listen. Then I found myself taking a deep dive into her lyrics. I wanted to know more about her. So I started listening to interviews, reading articles, anything. I brought my I bought my first Taylor CD 1989. Then going backwards, I bought Red. I really became an old super Swifty listening to Red. Taylor has a way of getting inside people's minds and emotions and expressing them like no one else. Not only have I become a great fan of her talent and musical ability, I have also I also have greatest respect and admiration for her as a person. I know she can't sing like Beyonce or some other female artists that have big voices, but her ability to express emotions through her words and performance is exceptional. When Reputation came out on Netflix, I was ecstatic. I think I've watched it literally over a hundred times. I watched the Fearless Tour on YouTube a bunch of times. Of course, Speak Now and Red. Anything I can find on YouTube, I've watched at least once. I live in California. My daughter relocated to the UK and has married and has a daughter of her own. One very cool thing happened between us. I found out that granddaughter is a Swifty. So we have bonded over the pond with Taylor Adoration. I guess I should wrap this up. I am so thrilled to be a Swifty. When Taylor accomplishes anything, I feel how I imagine Andrea must feel. I'm just so proud of her. I could talk all day about her and never run out of things to say. Maybe this is TMI, but I am disabled and pretty much homebound. Taylor makes my days easier, happier, and full of life. See, I, I have to agree with you that that is my favorite story that we did get on so many levels. Um, one is I, I love when I hear about and I don't know how people are going to take this, but I love when I hear about seniors discovering new things and just immersing themselves. Like, I'm like, this is going to be me when I get older because I'm that type of person where if I, if I like something, I'm going to go all in. And, you know, to see that, yes, there are people that are currently that age that do do that. That gives me hope for myself in the future. Um, I don't know. It, plus, plus when I was, uh, when I was, um, younger, like, uh, like 10, 11, 12, you know, 13, I got super into Elton John and I can't tell you the joy that I had when adults who I looked up to were into him and we could have that kind of connection. So to hear that, you know, she's having that connection, you know, um, with her granddaughter, it just, it makes me so happy, you know? Yeah. I like it because, like me, she was a hater of Taylor Swift for literally no reason at all, other than it was it, you know, cool and fashionable to hate Taylor Swift. And there's still a large group of people who thinks it's still cool to hate on Taylor Swift. They think they're so edgy because they hate Taylor Swift. Um... But yeah, her story resonates with me because, like me, she 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 started her her fan path as somebody who didn't like Taylor. I think a lot come from that, and I and I think that some of it, and you mentioned it uh, earlier on, where something is so hyped and everybody's loving it that some people, by nature, push away even if they themselves would like it. 
Um, because I, I was that way with Harry Potter and other things. So, <laughs> I mean, I feel deprived just because, you know, I missed out on, you know, forming bonds with a lot of different people in, in a number of fandoms just because it was way too hyped. And yes, it was hyped for a good reason, but it's just, Yeah. Yeah. So the last fan story that we're going to read, we picked the three best of all of the submissions, um, is from Regina. And I want to give a shout out to Regina because she's the one that helped us get the submissions uh, by allowing me to post in her group, uh, Taylor Swift Vault. So Regina writes in, my Swifty story. I'm not really a country fan, but I enjoy some country music, mostly from female artists like Shania Twain and Carrie Underwood. However, I don't listen to country stations, so back in 2007, I would stream music by listening to music videos on YouTube. I remember doing that. (laughs) (laughs) When I discovered Taylor Swift's second and third singles, Teardrops on My Guitar and Ours, I absolutely loved the storytelling and the videos. This new artist had a cool vision and knew how to portray it. I was in college at the time, and I constantly found myself singing her songs in my slow times at work. When I found her picture to burn music video, I associated her grudge style with some of Avril Lavigne's music, which was my go-to for breakups. At the time in my life, I had completely stopped buying CDs, having amassed a collection of about 150 CDs, all of which I still own. However, they take up a lot of space, so I didn't buy Taylor's first two albums, but I adored all the singles, especially with their corresponding music videos. When Speak Now came out, I was officially obsessed. I bought my first Taylor Swift album, which was actually the CD-DVD combo for the Speak Now World Tour Live. I watched the tour video and wished I had gone. I resolved to attend her next tour, which turned out to be Red, and my absolute favorite era. My bestie and I saw Red at the Box Center in Tulsa. Taylor is seriously magical on stage. She really knows how to bring her songs to life. I have all of her CDs since Speak Now, including Fearless, Taylor's version, and I'm looking forward to finally purchasing Taylor Swift, Taylor's version when it comes out. I do have the original record, but no record player yet. In 2020, I decided I wanted to connect with other Swifties, so I joined a fan group on Facebook, and now I'm a mod of that group as well as an admin or mod in several other Taylor Swift fan groups, such as my group, Taylor Swift's Vault. I have made many Swifty friendships, and I seriously love the support and love I've witnessed in this Taylor Swift fandom. I try to avoid the toxic events that occur from time to time and keep them out of the groups I run. I even actually started using my long-abandoned Twitter account just so I could keep up with Taylor and Taylor Nation. There are so many amazing fan artists on Twitter. Whether it's music videos, live shows, or just the imagery in her, mu- in her lyrics, Taylor is a master in bringing us into her story i'm so excited to see the full-length movie she's promised to make as well as her heiress tour in kansas city oh i love i I love the three that uh that that we selected because each one has a different perspective on things as well as how and when they came into the fandom yeah uh, so I'm really glad we saved that one for last because it's a great segue into uh, the last part 
the last section of the essay that I want to read, which will lead into the last part of what I want to discuss for this episode's pot for this episode. Sounds good to me. I got to find it. Hold on. Here we go. Taylor's reinventions truly started with Kanye's I'ma let you finish speech. Prior to that, her differences in styles and seemingly her personality are minuscule and mostly reflective in the maturity that comes with age and experience. After the 2009 incident, she even started singing about her own flaws in response to the media accusing her of being a man-eater and victimizing herself and starting drama for sympathy. Back to December on the Speak Now album is a prime example of her addressing that she is the cause of her own art hard own heartache at times. While her habit of reinventing herself is not fully in response to Kanye's actions, it is quite clear that he started the precedence for it. Innocent on her 2010 album shows her being the bigger person. It shows growth and maturity beyond her years. Through her career, Kanye West and others have taken shot after shot at her for no apparent reason, but she has bounced back. She's reinvented herself to show forgiveness, then to show cynicism retribution, acceptance, and finally peace with everything that she's been targeted for. Each album since Reputation has at least one song with a response to him, and each one shows the change in her. The drama reached its cusp when the truth came out in 2020, and Taylor has been able to fully move on and adjust the problems with the eye and tone of someone who is now untouchable. For those who are not aware, the truth came out uh, with the revelation that uh, Kim Kardashian posted an edited ver video um, to make it sound like Taylor was consenting to being called the B-word. So, yeah. All that bullshit uh, the Kardashians were throwing about Taylor being a snake really should have been being thrown at themselves. Yeah, and the problem is, is that when you're, when you're a part of that, even if you're not a willing participant, it makes you look like drama just because other people are causing drama. Yeah. Um, if Wes' actions were a result of seeing her as a threat to his career and that of his friends, it's proven to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, as his actions have only caused her to skyrocket, as that's something we mentioned earlier. Taylor is a conqueror, and after the fiasco that was the pre-sale for her heiress tour, many hope that she will finally save the touring industry by taking down the monopoly that is Ticketmaster. If anyone has the power and fan base to do it, it's Taylor Allison Swift. So can you can you explain this whole ticket master thing for me? Because I I have been okay. so busy. So yes, I can explain the ticket master thing as somebody who was involved in the ticket master thing. So Ticketmaster knew that this was going to be a huge tour. And Ticketmaster promised Taylor that they were capable of handling it um and their way of making sure that fans got the tickets instead of scalpers was to come out with a thing called verified fans 
if your email on Ticketmaster matched the email used uh, to buy Taylor Swift merchandise from Taylor Swift store, then you were considered a fan and Ticketmaster would verify you. And they sent you, um, they would send you a code so that you could get access to the presale. I got the code and um, they had it set up so that you entered, you got into a queue, an online queue. And then when it was your turn to shop for tickets, you entered your code and then you could get in and shop for tickets. There were, I can't remember the exact number. I think there were, I can't remember the numbers, but there were a specific number of verified fans that were sent the ticket code, the sent the access code. I think it was like one and a half million. Then one and a half million people were uh, put in a wait list. There were over a billion attempts to enter the Ticketmaster site and enter the sale on the day of the presale. And there were bot attacks and hackers hacking into the system and buying up the tickets before fans, the verified fans could actually get there. They were clogging up the line and everything. And I waited in line for about an hour and a half, entered in my code and was told that my code was invalid. After 50 times of entering and verifying that I was entering the right code, it finally kicked me off the website. I got back in line, waited another three and a half hours, was finally able to get in, entered my code, and it worked this time. However, every time I clicked tickets that I wanted to buy, when I would click to put it in my cart, it would say the tickets were sold out. Tickets were sold out. Tickets were sold out. But every time I refreshed to look at more tickets, the tickets would be listed right there. That I, the ones that I was trying to buy. And this went on for probably about two hours. And then it finally refreshed and said that the entire, that the pre-sale was sold out. So I sent an email to Ticketmaster. And I was told that um, because I was having issues, my, pre, my verified fan code would give me access to the Capital One pre-sale the next day. It's great. Perfect. So, again, I got in line and I waited. I only waited about 45 minutes. Got in line, found tickets that I wanted to buy, got them put in my cart, and then it wanted me to enter in my Capital One pre-sale code. So, I entered in my verified fan code and it said, no, I wasn't allowed to buy these tickets. What the hell? So I was pissed off because I got lied to by Ticketmaster. I uh, screenshotted the email and emailed Ticketmaster again and said, yeah, this didn't work. And the customer service representative that helped me said that um, they were uh, apologizing that I was given the wrong information. Um, that my priest, my verified fan code was never going to work for the Capital One sale. They were sorry that I was given incorrect information on that. And 
all you have to do is type in Ticketmaster Taylor Swift fan prop purchasing problems in Google and you will come up with thousands of stories, horror stories of people trying to get tickets. Um, and you'll also get tick. you'll also get the story of, well, I got in with my verified fan code and I only needed the two tickets, but I panic bought all six tickets that I was allowed to buy. Bullshit. Like, why no, you bought the six tickets because you wanted to make some fucking money. Bullshit on that. Nobody panic buys six tickets when they only need two. And then it quickly came out over the next couple of days that scalpers got the majority of the tickets. Everybody was pissed off. Um, Taylor released a statement apologizing, saying that she was looking into things. And everybody started thinking, oh, she's going to create her own ticket sales platform because <laughs> Ticketmaster, since, uh, since accruing Live Nation, has essentially become a monopoly. There are very few venues where you can purchase tickets outside of Ticketmaster. And it is considered a monopoly and it is illegal to have. Um, and yet nobody will. Nobody will do anything about it because they have so much power. That's why in my essay it says if anybody has the power to take down Ticketmaster, it's going to be Taylor Swift. Um, I did eventually end up getting an email from Ticketmaster saying that because I was a verified fan who had been unable to get tickets, that I was going to be granted an opportunity to get two more to purchase two tickets. Um, and I was able to get tickets that way. I will be going to the Detroit show, uh, on June 10th with, uh, my bestie, bestie. Um, and I'm super excited. Um, I paid a little more than what I originally was budgeting for the tickets because I wanted to guarantee that I at least got tickets and the tickets that they gave me were actually really good. And, when I was in Ticketmaster trying to buy the tickets during the pre-sale, the tickets that I got um, in the pre-sale were marked up over $1,000. And I definitely got a really good deal on these tickets. They're what really the hell? Yes. Yeah. So, Ticketmaster did come through for me. However... They still, they really dropped the ball on this. Um, and yeah, so yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of people are theorizing that Taylor is still going to come out with a new ticket system after um, she's done with this tour before she starts her next tour. I really hope that she does because it's getting ridiculously hard to go see live shows because Ticketmaster drives up the price because they can get away with it and they have contract with most music venues in the country that you don't have any choice but to buy through Ticketmaster to go to these shows Yeah, see, I, I've gone through StubHub, but I don't know if they're like a preliminary of Ticketmaster. 
StubHub is not. StubHub does uh, work with venues that aren't contracted with Ticketmaster. However, StubHub definitely drives up their prices to keep their fees low. Yes. Whereas Ticketmaster has super high fees and super high prices because they just want to gouge you every chance. See, I don't know where else to buy tickets. I mean, back in the day, you'd go to the venue and buy them there. I wish it would go back to that. I wish it would go back to venues being responsible for the sales of their own tickets. Yeah, because, I mean, like, as a general example, when you want to do a movie, you can either physically go there, go to their website, or use Fandango. And, yes, there are some fees um, for that kind of stuff, but, I mean, it's not as ridiculous as trying... Because I bought Elton John tickets, um, and, I mean... It was expensive, yes, but I thought it was going to be way more just because my pre-experience with Ticketmaster has made me not want to purchase any tickets. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first Shinedown show that I went to, I bought through the band's website. Didn't have to go through Ticketmaster at all. I went through the band's website. Um... But the show that I went to in last, the show that I went to last year, I had to go through Ticketmaster because the the venue had, because the band was like, unfortunately, we can't sell our own tickets anymore. Uh, The venues are in charge of ticket sales now and they go through Ticketmaster. So it's even venues are preventing artists from being in control of their own ticket sales. Layla, what's in your mouth? Yes, because that that definitely uh, that definitely it puts a hamper. And I would agree with you because I mean I'm not comparing you know different artists because that that is a whole can of worms that I do not want to get into. But as a general example, uh, let's take, you know, my Michael Jackson. He was very big. I mean, he was the king of pop. Come on. Um, and if, if he said something, then things would happen. And Taylor right now is in that position where she, she can say stuff. And because she's in that position with her career, she can, in, in theory, be the change and make the change that's needed to be made. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you were going, and I do this every podcast, you know, I do. If you're going to suggest either one album or one song, what you suggesting that we need to listen to after listening to the podcast today. So I can't suggest just one song um, or one album for that matter. Um, I My all-time favorite song is All Too Well, Taylor's version, 10-minute version. Um, I am absolutely in, so, in love with the song Bejeweled off of Midnight's and... Oh. 
Vigilante Shit and Karma from Midnight's are also fantastic songs. Um, I absolutely love the song Champagne Problems from Evermore. And my favorite song from the album, though, is probably Tolerate It. Um, and then from Folklore, I absolutely love the song Cardigan. And This Is Me Trying. Um, this is me trying and tolerate it. Definitely speak volumes to me. Um, tolerate it. I really heavily associate with my relationship with my father. And this is me trying, uh, I relate to my struggles with adulthood and suicide. Um, so I would heavily recommend Red Taylor's version and Midnight's Folklore and Evermore. Um, Reputation is my all-time favorite album for many reasons. Uh, it reflects a lot of what I had to cope. It, it reflects a lot of my recovery from my marriage. Um, it reflects a lot of how I was feeling recovering from the drama over the summer that I faced in the gaming community. Um, and then I absolutely love the song Haunted. Haunted is probably my number two favorite Taylor Swift song. It's off of the Speak Now album. A lot of recommendations there. So basically listen to all the stuff. That, that is the cliff notes of, of, of your, uh, your recommendations, uh, Monet. <laughs> um... I, I will make mine brief since I'm going to be the good one, you know, um, 1989, you know, that, that's, uh, th that'll be a good starting point recommendation for people. Um, and I'm going to say style. I'm, I'm very basic. The style is a good song. It was. I mean, it was so so good. Like, and and that was one that I honestly listened to because my one friend, super into Harry Styles, and knows that I'm into Taylor Swift, and she's like, "Well, she wrote a song about him. You got to listen to it. It's this." And, and I listened to it, and I'm like, "Yeah, it's good." And she's like, "Yeah, I know, yeah, right?" Yeah, so, um, Style is a good song. Um, I think my favorite off of 1989 is Shake It Off. See, that one's good, but, and, and I was talking about this earlier, that was the hype one where everybody was like, yeah! Wildest Dreams, the minute I heard it, I immediately thought Tom Hiddleston. I know. And it was released an entire year before she started dating him. But I still, even to this day, when I hear it, I, 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 it's, it's, it's a Tom Hiddleston song. Um, probably because I, I know from being a hater, you know, I would listen, you know, pay attention to her in the media and the things that she said. And she was a Tom Hiddleston fan before she dated him. I didn't know that. So, Yeah. She was a uh, Avengers fan. She's a Tom Hiddleston fan because of Loki. 
Dude, I did not know that. Um, actually, when they were dating, that's one thing that I used to defend their relationship was that they were both admirers of each other because Tom had mentioned um, in an interview back during the Avengers era that he liked dancing to Taylor Swift music. Yeah, I mean, he used to have his song of the day and all that nice stuff before people ruined that crap in Twitter. Yeah, so, I mean... Of her exes that we haven't spoken of, who are you saddest that she didn't work out with? Obviously, I'm really happy that she's with Joe, and but if you know, if if she could have made it work with one of her exes, who would you who would you liked it to have been? See, here's the problem. I don't know a lot of her exes. I know about Harry Styles. Uh, I think his name was Calvin, the one right before Tom. I know about Tom. Calvin Harris was problematic because uh, right before their breakup, he was siding with Kanye West yes. in all of the drama. Yes. And that's ultimately, that's why they broke up. And that's why she fled with Tom. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. I don't know, like, the whole... I don't know the story between her and Harry. I didn't know the whole thing about her and Calvin. Um, you know, the only one I really knew about was Tom. And, and now Tom's, like, in, in such, you know... He's in a happy relationship, engaged, baby, all that stuff. Um, so I I honestly do not have an answer for that because I don't... I don't know a lot of her whole dating thing. Okay. I, I know a bit about it. Um, if I would, if I could pick one of her exes that I wish had been able to work out, it would have been Taylor Lautner. See, I don't know who that is. Taylor Lautner is Jacob Black in the Twilight movies. Wait, they dated? They dated. Uh, they met on the film Valentine's Day, and they dated. Taylor Lautner was actually there at the VMAs when Kanye made his I'ma Let You Finish speech, and Back to December is a song about Taylor Lautner. And when she sings in the song, uh, The First Time You Saw Me Cry, she's referring to the award show because she walked off stage and cried in his arms. Man, I'm learning stuff today. <laughs> you know what? We I won't go with your even touch the surface of Taylor Swift. Like, I wish we could talk more about Taylor Swift, but we are running out of time. Um, we might have to do. We'll definitely have to do a special Taylor Swift episode after I get back from the after I've done the concert. Definitely, because then you got to give us um, all the deets. Yes, I have to do uh, the deets. Um, and maybe if I'm nice, I will get some concert footage to put up and maybe get some sound clips to add to the episode. Oh my. Yeah. Um, there is so much stuff that I wanted to cover in this episode that we just didn't get to. I would love to do another episode. Um, I would love to get more fan involvement too for our Taylor Swift part two episode whenever we get around to it. So if you have something that you want to say, if we said something that is completely, absolutely wrong, 
please let me know. Um, but please do understand that I thoroughly research Taylor Swift. I for the better half of six, uh, the, for the better part of three months to do my term paper, and I crossed every line to make sure that I was getting actual accurate factual information. Um, and I have receipts and resources. So if you think I said something fake, please prove me wrong. Because I probably spent over 300 hours researching and deep diving into Taylor Swift. So you sound that that term, I'm going to tell you that paper sounds like the one that I did as far as why the Lon Chaney uh, version of Phantom of the Opera is the definitive one and you need to see it and all that stuff for my final term uh, paper. If you guys are interested in reading the paper, it is posted in the files of the Facebook group Taylor Swift Universe and I'm going to get with Regina about posting it in Taylor Swift Vault. Um, or you can just message us on Facebook and I will gladly send you a copy of it. Yeah, because uh, we are everywhere. Yes, we are on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, yeah. Cheeky Geeky is on Facebook and Twitter. I am on Facebook. I am on Twitter. I am on Wattpad. I am on TikTok. Just search Monet DeLuve and you will find me. Yeah, pretty much any place that you search up Team Aeon, we're there. Um, I mean, I, I would be too long for me to list that, but check out TeamAeon.com. Um, if you check out Odegu, it's probably going to bring up a bunch of old stuff like my DeviantArt, but you can if you want to see my old DeviantArt and Chris stuff. And as always, we will make sure our socials are in the episode link. Episode bio about thing, blurb, whatever. Now, Missy, it, it's approaching. Are you ready? Yes. Do you know what's coming? Yes. Are you excited? Yes. Should we tell them? You do it. You have the honors. <laughs> um, next month is Hiddles Month. It's something we do every year. And we have an episode lined up. Very excited. I always love talking about Tom. I believe we are doing his stage stuff this year. Am I right? Or did we're doing romance roles. A romance role. Oh, stage was last year. Yeah, stage was last year. This year it's romance roles. I still think it's 2024. So there will be there will be lots of talk about the Hiddles bum. Oh yeah, and I was robbed. I was robbed of that condo, that Loki, uh, Loki pokey stick, baby. I was robbed. Damn it, Guillermo! I know, a little asshole. I love that we could go from talking to Taylor about Taylor Swift to Tom, like to the most controversial relationship that she's had. I know <laughs> it's it's so perfect. So yeah, by the way, if you are one of those Taylor Swift fans who is also a Tom Hiddleston fan and vice versa, please let us know. We would love to talk to you. 
Definitely. And if you have any feedback on your fave Tom romantic role, hook us up with a message. We will, uh, the best ones are going in the episode. Actually, you know what? I'm going to elaborate this a little bit more. If you are a fan of any of Taylor's exes, I would love to. I would love for you to reach out and talk to us because I'm not just a fan of Tom Hiddleston. I'm also a fan of Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, which is probably one of the reasons why I love the song all too well so much. Um, but yeah, I would love to connect with you and hear some of your stories about being a fan of both and you know all that jazz. We may even put what you we may even put it in a future episode if you consent to that. Oh yeah. But for now just guys, no John Mayer, just no John Mayer, because <laughs> I'm sorry. That that was a, that was an entire grooming situation and I'm not even going to touch his fandom with a ten foot pole. Blah. That's why I was I I am so happy you didn't really mention him during this episode and we will continue not to mention him. Yeah. Like we'll mention him in passing like this, but we're not going to spend any cuz blah. Okay. <laughs> yep, yeah, for now guys. I think, so. we've dragged, I think we've dragged this out long enough. Thank you guys for listening. We love you all. Bye-bye. For now, this is Odegu. And I am Monet. Bye-bye.